Amen. Amen. Man, oh, I really just wish you were all in this room. That was just beautiful. You can just feel the presence of Jesus. I hope and I pray that you were as well. That was just really, really beautiful. Thank you, Karen and Sean and the mystery man, Dayton. And I didn't think the box drum could be that cool. It was so good. So thank you. Uh, good morning. I'm one of the pastors. My name is James. If you're a guest today, I also want to welcome you. Uh, we are uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible, uh, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians. And uh, before we begin that, though, I want you uh, to do something with me. I want you to uh, close your eyes. Okay? Everyone's like, no. Um, close your eyes. And I want you to think about one thing you appreciate Jesus for this week. One thing that you appreciate Jesus for, uh, I want you to, you can, now you can do it because at least you know what I'm doing. So one thing that you appreciate Jesus, one uh, moment this week. So I want you to think of about a moment this week. It could be someone's face, a phone call you received, a time in the word. But one appreciation memory, and that was clear that this was a grace or a blessing from the Father. Ephesians 5.20, it says this, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So just, you know, right now I want you to think of one appreciation memory and then I just want you to share your appreciation to Jesus. You can do this out loud if you're by yourself or if you're like, I don't want to do this in front of you know, the person I'm with. Just in your mind, just share your appreciation Good. And if you had a hard time maybe thinking of something, that's okay. You know, sometimes you just need more time to process. But I just encourage you, before you, you know, begin your devotional time with Jesus, just quiet your heart. And, uh, you know, 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, rejoice always. So that's an appreciation. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. You know, you're in constant And give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. In Christ Jesus for you. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, so Jesus, just thank you. Thank you that you're with us right now, and I just, I pray as we anticipate, like, encountering God in your word, we just want to say to you, our heart is yours, our mind is yours, our soul is yours. Speak, you have full access. Lord, your word is living, it's active, it's present, it's, it's your voice, it's your present tense, I am. And so we just say, come Holy Spirit, come illuminate, come and just encounter us. May we encounter God together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in a uh, unique section of Scripture this morning. Let me explain what I mean by unique. So um, Paul, with such deep love, he's been confronting a group in, in Corinth, in this church, that have been led astray by these super apostles, these self-acclaimed super apostles. And what's interesting is they have uh, not only been like so powerful in the rhetoric, they've been telling these in stories about encounters with God, they've also been 
giving wrong truths about Jesus. And so it's been really dangerous. And here's why it's unique, though. Paul, well, let me say it this way. They've created, so these super apostles, along with the Greek culture of that day, has created a framework within the church that unless you boast, so here's the framework, unless you boast or, or have some kind of experiential resume, you don't have a voice. So in order to have a platform now with the Corinthian church, you have to boast. You have to have something better up and against these super apostles. So Paul's kind of stuck in that he's got to step down to their low level of boasting to even get some of them to pay attention to him. Right? If you're a student here, think about it this way. Paul just got canceled. Okay? So he's, been, he's got a lot of influencers. I mean, he's an influencer. He's got a lot of followers. He spoke some hard truths and then... These super apostles canceled him, and now he's got to regain his account, say some things that are going to blow up the internet to regain every follower, and then he's going to say, none of that's worth it, okay? So that's where he's a little stuck. Now, as you read, you'll totally get what I'm saying now, all right? So here we go, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting. He's like, I got to keep doing this. Though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but... On my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I wished to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, like a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Now, think about that. That is such a brilliant and beautiful and personal response. Paul's like, I got something that these super apostles cannot top. Like third heaven, paradise. So he's got their attention now. He's got the biggest boast. And then in verse 6, he dismantles the framework with truth. But let me say this. The balance is so important here. The balance that we have right now is really important. Paul's not saying those encounters, those, you know, revelatory visions in times of his manifest presence, they're not real or even greatly strengthening. Nor do they have a place in encouraging the assignment that God's given him in definite hardships. That was an encouraging time. But what he does say is they were of no use. In verse 1, nothing to be gained in determining the value of his ministry over against others. So, so listen, Paul's not against sharing our God encounters. 
They can at times encourage and build up faith. I don't think he's saying, you know, don't talk about that stuff. In fact, in the Bible, he talks about it eight times. There's eight encounters where Paul actually has these visions and revelatory moments in which he preaches. In in Galatians 2, we read, he went up to Jerusalem because of a revelation. On three occasions in the book of Acts, Paul describes this revelatory encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He has a vision in Macedonia of a man which sends him that way in Jerusalem. In a trance, he gets a picture from Jesus to get out quickly. They're not going to accept your testimony. In Acts 23, Jesus comes to Paul's presence and says, man, take courage. I'm with you. And you know, I, I've testified to you the facts about me in Jerusalem. You must testify also in Rome. And there's more. But those times, listen, those times are never meant to have a comparative posture to them. Which takes us to the first points. We have three points today. I'm only going to show you one by one what they are. But here's the first point that Paul's trying to, to give us this morning. I believe we're in this text for a reason. He says this, in the kingdom, here's the first point, it's not our encounters or boastings that count, but rather it's our abiding and representing Jesus that does. Okay, so our spiritual, you know, prophets, encounters, disciplines, all the things that maybe we can build a platform on, All of that is not, ought not to be the basis on which we judge the legitimacy of our or a person's ministry or calling or authority. Look at verse 6, but how should, what should our attitude be? Well, in verse 6 he says, though if I should wish to boast, I would be not a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But, But he has a different way of the kingdom. What's the different way of the kingdom? But I refrain from it. Why? So that no one may think of me, because it's about Jesus, that no one may think of me more than he sees in me and hears from me. I really appreciate uh, how the NLT transliterates this. Look at verse 6 in the NLT. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me the credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. So sure, I know you're looking at me, but on the one hand, we shouldn't dismiss or diminish the importance of the supernatural, revelatory ways Jesus loves to be present with us and heal us and encourage us. But on the other hand, neither should we elevate them, be boastful or make them the supreme importance, or as more important than watch character and holiness than the message of the kingdom, the truths of scripture, as what authenticates our walk with Jesus. Does that make sense? So don't make what's not about you about you. Paul's like, don't take their bait. They can have all these encounters and rhetoric. They're already teaching false. No, no, no. Look at what they say. Watch what they say. Look at what they do. Not what boasting they bring to the table. It's not about us. In In the the kingdom, kingdom, it's not not our encounters or boastings that count, but rather it's our abiding and representing Jesus that does. Amen? Amen. Number two, this takes us to the heart of the passage. Here's the heart of this passage. If you're taking notes, this is number two. I'll give you some time. In the kingdom, self-oriented. That includes all kinds of self-boasting. Self-centeredness, self-exaltation, a self-oriented boasting, it won't be accommodated. Jesus does not accommodate self-exaltation. 
And this is how he's trying to show the church, look at what's happening and see what the character of God is like and let me show you a personal example of how God's doing this in my life. So let me say this, okay? When you come to the Bible and you read passages like this, uh, don't, and it's okay to study. Like, it's a, you know, obviously you want to study and you want to see, hey, where else in the Bible is the third heaven mentioned? But that's not the point of this passage. So don't get caught in weeds, okay? Don't be like, what is the third heaven? And, you know, uh, what was the thorn in the flesh? Because here's the truth. The Holy Spirit's really beautiful and he's really smart. He's not going to tell you what the thorn in the flesh was because if he does tell you what the thorn in the flesh was and that's not something that you're struggling with, you'll go, this doesn't apply to me. But now, because the Bible's so perfect at reading us and being like a mirror, we can read ourselves into the passage and go, what's my thorn? So don't get, I'm not going to get into the weeds with you. I mean, you can, but just stay with me here. So, so we're in the kingdom. Self-oriented boasting won't be accommodated. Look at what he does in verse 7. It's beautiful. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. I mean, I felt it. It's a physical, it's, it's, it's a part of the body, soul, and spirit. There's something there. You know, whether it's a temptation, a reoccurring, whether it was like a physical ailment, we don't know. But in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He says it twice. And then in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, Jesus said to me, in my pleading with him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Just pause there for a moment. What does Paul learn from this encounter with God about the kingdom? Now, I want you to notice something here. The Lord, at least in this passage, doesn't say, I'm sending you a demonic spirit to harass you because you're potentially becoming conceited or, you know, in all my kind of omniscience, all-knowing nature, I can see down the road, this is going to create some pride and, and so on. This is why I'm sending it. Now, maybe in those three seasons of pleading with Jesus, to remove it, he does. But that's not what this text says. We don't have that in here. Here's what I want you to see. It's as if Paul knew his own heart. He knew his own soul with and present to the spirit within him that when God spoke, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, he knew where the spirit was applying it. He knew pride. He knew in his becoming like Jesus that in the past he had built a life on religious pride. He knew he had conceded stuff that Jesus was still watching, healing, so that when this thorn comes in the flesh and he processes it with God three times and asks for God for it to go, he knows how God's love and protection is working by not allowing the removal of this affliction, this thorn. And that's huge because that's his grace. And, and, and listen, it's, it's possible that some of you may be right now in your life being protected by the Father, by Father God, and you don't see it because you're unwilling to look at the stuff he's watching. So you'll read, my grace is sufficient for you, 
and you're unwilling to say, I have control stuff. See, the father knew Paul's heart and the kind of, I mean, imagine this, okay? Like, just walk with me for a little bit. Okay, let me put it this way. So, uh, imagine, you know, you have, like, a famous celebrity that you follow on Instagram or maybe some influencer or, you know, someone big in your world, and all of a sudden, you made a comment on this thing, and they said, hey, I'm inviting you to my house this weekend. They send you a helicopter, okay? A helicopter comes into your front yard. All your neighbors are like, what? It's got the celebrity's big picture on it, and you're like, I'm going to his house for the weekend. Imagine that, okay? You know? Maybe it's Drake. Is Drake out now, guys? I don't know. Anyways, so you fly to Drake's crib in Toronto. How many of you would go, that encounter was so big, I think I should story this thing? Or I got to tell someone about it. We all would. And then times that by a 1,000, you go to paradise, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. And, and then, and then li- listen to what he knows about his heart with the spirit. He says, if I gotten conceited, I'd be filled with that felt good. And here's what happens when you get filled with self-justification and you feel really special about those encounters. You begin to take in the success. You begin to... F- almost agree with the bait of pride. And what you do is you use it to self-justify you. So you're no longer standing in with and on Christ, but on you. It's as if Paul understood, look, if I wouldn't have anything, I, he, he knows, he's like, I wouldn't have any of the courage I have. I wouldn't have any of the power I have. I wouldn't have anything like the freedom I have from fear if God didn't put this weakness in my life. I forgot who said this, but if the light shining on you is greater than the light shining in you, the light shining on you can consume you. If the light shining on you is greater than the light shining in you, the light shining on you will consume you. Paul's like, hey, church, stop being impressed with the things Jesus isn't impressed by. This isn't impressed Jesus. Pride in ministry, especially, is very tricky. Because if you're serving God, what pride can do is you can begin to trust in your commitments. You can begin to trust in your gifts. You can begin to trust in your goodness and your devotion more than in God for the things he's calling you. Let me say it this way. Um, arrogance banks on the last time God used you. So if you're like, God used me last time, I got this, and you walk in, mm-mm, you know what he's going to do. Because why? Because he's really loving, he's really protecting, and he's like, I need to step in, I really love you. But let me ask you this question, um, if you're still with me, are we all, are we all together still? Yes, okay. Um, When in your life have you found this pattern of thinking, okay, where God does something with you? Maybe it's a great community group night. Maybe you shared something that was really powerful. You had to, whatever it was. God does something with you, around you, in you, for you, through you, 
and you begin to love that activity, prayer or preaching or encouraging, you begin to love the activity, and that's fine. That's good. Jesus loved doing it with you. You loved it too. But then what happened is you started to enjoy your position or privilege or simply doing that activity more than Jesus and being with him and seeing him do it again and the reason you started doing it in the first place, you know what that is? That's just drift, drift, drift. And the Father is so good, he's so beautiful in his grace that he will step in and he will prick your pride. He'll prick it with so much love. We need those thorns. Without the poking, without the deflating pride, which is actually robbing you of your pleasure in him, your dependence on him, your life with him, it would be the worst So what a gift in the kingdom that in Jesus' kingdom, he does not accommodate self-oriented boasting. Amen? What I appreciate about Paul, let me just say this one more thing and then we'll go to number three, um, is how quickly he goes to the Father in prayer to find out what's going on. You know, um, we'll, we'll link... Uh, Norm actually preached a sermon on this very text about two and a half years ago. We'll link that sermon in our sermon notes. And because I, I remember it was like one of the most powerful sermons. Um, and in that, he talked about that these three times were actually three seasons of pleading. And uh, I just, I like how quickly he goes to the Father to go, what's going on? And see, Paul knew, this is interesting, is he knew in his abiding life with Jesus on this one, I, needed to, I need to go alone. I, I need to get alone with God again and again and again. Man, I just, I don't know about you, but if Paul was around, I would have loved to ask him, you know, what did that look like, Paul? Like if he was right here and we could do like a Q&R, I'd be like, what did it look like for you to plead three times? And I wonder if, he, you know, he was like, it was like struggle. And, or, or if it was like, you know, I was walking with a friend who just deeply loved me. And he held my hand. He said, trust me, this is not about you. I'm in control. This isn't a foothold. This isn't something you've done wrong. You didn't fail me. You're not being paid back, Paul. This isn't... Paul, I want to teach you about my power and how powerful I am in you when you surrender self. Man. You know, he would say, your dependency on me is the greatest strategy in my kingdom. The greatest strategy in the kingdom of God is your dependence on me. The greatest strategy in the kingdom of God is your presence with me and utter dependency on me. Not for tomorrow, but for right now. You look right here with me. I just, I wonder what it would be like or what the church would look like, what my life would look like if, if we prayed, I prayed, Father, I don't want to take a step in any direction you're not going. Like, what if we prayed and we said, Father, I admit and acknowledge I'm not qualified on my own. So I lay all my weaknesses before you. May your grace and empowering presence fill me in, in this meeting, in this sermon, in this project, in this conversation, in my stuff at work, and... Your dependency on Jesus is the greatest strategy in the kingdom. And, and look right at me. 
our king will love us enough to keep us dependent. He just loves you so much. He's like, mm, uh, no. If Paul was a coach, and we're actually going to take this approach next week, um, so maybe I'll unpack these more next week. Here's what he would say if he was a coach to you right now. He would say, look right at me. Stay close. Stay small. Stay in his presence. Stay out of the limelight. Stay childlike. Stay broken. Stay weak. You'd be like, okay, coach. In their book, uh, The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, it's really cool. The book, these authors, they actually interview J.I. Packer and Dallas Willard and a few like saints of, and they ask them about pride and weakness throughout the whole book. <clears throat> so each chapter is a different interview. But uh, this is what came out. One of the authors said this, human flourishing, it may be on the screen. Here it is. Human flourishing is not about self-actualization, but about discovering our life in Christ. Flourishing entails discovering our insufficiency and coming to rest in the sufficiency of his grace. Whew. The flourishing self is the abiding self, not the actualized self. I think if you memorize that quote, I bet you you could use it every time you meet one of your friends who doesn't believe in Jesus. Human flourishing is not about self-actualization, but about discovering our life in Christ. This is a whole different worldview about flourishing. I would just encourage you to maybe just screenshot if you want, or I can just, I'll put it in the sermon notes. Be a vessel that doesn't make it about you. That's what he's saying. And, you know, Jesus is like, hey, Paul, my power shows up best in weak people. And I just, there's just something there, you know? Yeah, something there for you just not to just, like, uh, what do I mean by that? Obviously, there's something there. It's the Bible. But you have to take stuff in the Bible that is true, and then you have to pull it into your life. So, yeah, okay. Uh, number three, we're almost done. So in the kingdom, here's the third point, in the kingdom, Jesus' power is released through his strength and not ours. So if they want power, and this is what he's dismantling in front of them, if you want to be powerful, you guys want, you want powerful preachers in front of you, you want super apostles, I'll tell you how power is released. So he says, in the kingdom, Jesus' power is released through Christ's strength and not ours. Look at verse 9 and 10. But he said to me, so Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough for you. My grace is always more than enough. You're like, God, but I'm, I don't have enough. Mm, mm, mm. My grace is always more than enough. It's sufficient. That's what the word sufficient means. Right? If someone's like, hey, can I borrow flour? You're like, I have a sufficient amount of flour. You just pull out your Costco bag and you just bring it to them. More than enough. His grace is more than enough. Okay? Repeat that. Just sit, tell yourself, take a deep breath. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So there's something about Jesus' power released through weakness. That's what the text says. Therefore, I will boast then all more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? Because 
that's where the power of Christ will rest upon me. So here's my conclusion. For the sake of Christ, for his mission in the kingdom, I'm going to be content. I don't need to go pray a fourth time. I can be content with weaknesses and insults and and hardships and doors closing and persecutions and calamities. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Christ on me, in me, is creating a strength. You know, it's interesting how Paul talks to Timothy in his letters. He actually commands him. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So when Paul heard Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, it was enough. He didn't need to have a fourth season. Once Paul, listen, once Paul got God's perspective, God's truth on what was happening as he was abiding with it, it was able to recircuit his brain and set him free. What I mean by that is there's an interesting word that all, you know, the translators often, not often, always see, and it's the word happy, joy. He says things like, I am very happy to brag about how weak I am. Delighted. The NASB says most gladly. There's a recircuiting in your brain of the joy in calamities and hardships when God's perspective is actually brought in. So let me show you this because Jesus talks about this power of the word of God. In John chapter 8, we read this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, okay, this is a, in, in scripture, when you study the Bible, you look for things like if then. So this is an if then statement. So Jesus says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word. So if you remain, if you're, you know, chewing it in, if it's coming into you, if you abide, remain, um, if you abide, if, so that's the if, you are truly my disciples, and so the, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not just that the truth will set you free. So many people can read truth, 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 not set free. There's an aspect of the, if it, this abides in you, it comes into you, it remains in you, you pull it in, you pull it out, you use it like the sword. If it's gripping you, and it's a good word to you, and you put it on like clothes, then you're free. For the sake of Christ, look at verse 10, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships. Now here's what's really cool. He doesn't, just apply this principle to his specific one-time demonic harassment. He goes, hmm, if this is true, um, I can be okay with the providence of God when I go through stuff that makes me weak, keeps me dependent, keeps me tied to Jesus. I can, I can look at a shipwreck. I can look at a, my, you know, my cart breaking down. I can look at a setback. I can look at uh, someone hating me for the gospel. I can, I can look at that, and maybe it's not all the reasons why that's going on, but one of the reasons I can pull from this is that his power is bringing me into dependency on Jesus. So here's, as a pastor, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stop here, so band, you can come on up. Um, 
As a pastor, I understand what Paul's doing in this text. He is dismantling self-exaltation that exists in the super apostles. And he's saying that framework they're building on isn't from God. And I'm going to show you that with my own life, my own experience in this, that the truth of the matter is that God's grace is efficient and the power comes through weakness. So don't listen to the super apostles. But listen, I know this is really key. So don't tune out on me. No distractions right now. Look at me. I know for us, we may think then, well, maybe my hardship is a thorn. I don't know why I'm getting so passionate. Let me slow down a bit. You might be thinking, maybe my hardship is just a thorn. I want you to, sit, I want you to hear me say, maybe. Maybe it's something else. The key is getting Jesus' perspective. You can pull in, okay, his grace is sufficient for me in this hardship. Yes, that's true every time. But that's not only what's happening. You have to get alone with God in prayer, sometimes in three seasons, being surrendered to say, is there something else going on? So I'm going to share a story. uh, On Tuesday... I had just such a, you know, my, my normal rhythm, my job description in the book of Acts is to pray and, st- and, and study the word. That's like my job. And so I pray a lot. I pray for you. I go pray a lot. I, I, I'm really thankful for that part of what Jesus is calling this role into, to equip the saints, but to pray. So every day, you know, I drop my kids off and my wife, and I go for a prayer walk. And many of you know that, but in case you're tuning in and you don't know that, I go for a prayer walk. And that morning, it was a really good prayer walk. I really... I was just with Jesus. I was praying. I was praying for us. I was praying for Sunday. I was praying. Um, and I was thanking Jesus. I was appreciating him. And I, I was feeling full. So then I walk into my own house, and I pull out my computer to do, you know, a Zoom staff meeting. And... Um, I feel all this anxiety, just a ton of anxiety. It was really, really weird. So what I did is we, we usually spend the first few minutes praying. And so I, you know, I clicked my mute button, we were praying. And I just went around the, the counter or the kitchen island. I said, okay, I didn't walk in with this anxiety. So where is this coming from? And uh, I was bringing it to him. And, and then I said out loud, I miss you. The emotional feeling I was feeling was like, he is now far. And I said out loud, I miss you. And I heard instantly in my mind, why do you miss me? I've been with you the whole time. And then I heard in my mind, don't confuse doubt with the emotional interpretation of I'm not here anymore. And then I heard him say, bring me your doubts. And immediately I said, Jesus, if that's you, what are my doubts? Immediately, fear of the future and this sermon. I brought that to him, completely gone. I share that story because we need to bring our stuff to God. Scripture tells us what's going on in our sanctification but it's not always specific to your moment. 
There's a real life Jesus that he actually likes to walk with you and you can pray with and you can go to him. And when stuff doesn't seem right, like Paul stored in the flesh, you go to God. So let me just ask you this question, how's it going? And let me just say, if, if this passage doesn't have a warm place in your heart, meaning like, ah, oh, you have that, I have read this so many times, and it's still hard to trust God that your life is about him, it's about your kingdom, then you just got to tell him that. Let me say it this way. If following Jesus is about you, or like, you know, where you value like world security and safety, and Jesus is like how you get that, and that's and more about that above his agenda and following him, you will not like feeling weak. Because in your mind, you've said weakness means he's distance. Weakness means I'm not enough. Weakness, mm-mm. Where you're feeling that, come to him. Because for most of us, when that starts happening, it's because we've made life more about us than about his kingdom. So I think for some of us, you know, if, if you were like, hey, give me one thing to work on, one thing I can do, here's what it would be. Um, it would begin to pray more regularly, show me this week your priorities. That's it. Pray every morning, show me this week, Jesus, your priorities. Say, Jesus, remind me where in the kingdom you want me to be. Remind yourself, hey, we're in the kingdom framework here. I'm not in the world's framework. I'm in the kingdom framework. So say out loud, and you can repeat after me because I'll just do this right now. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you, Jesus. Take my hand, lead it, lead it to you, to one another, to who you want me to love. Don't let me live in distraction. Because here's the thing. You know why being conceited is the worst? It's not only that you get robbed of intimacy with God, but you don't become a person who loves. You can't love and be conceited at the same time. And so if you have a place in your life where you're like the Holy Spirit's like, you're, being, you're becoming conceited in this, it's because you can't represent him. And if the goal of being and following Jesus is to make Jesus known and to represent Jesus, he's got to deal with that. And then I want you to thank him. Thank you, Lord, that my weakness doesn't hold me back. That's huge. Thank you, Jesus, that my weakness does not hold me back, but rather is the basis for the power of Jesus to come through. And so help us and help me to stop, stop being impressed with the things you're not impressed by. If weakness is what releases the power in the kingdom, help me to stop making excuses and to start trust, trusting that God is with me, I am yours. Let's go do what you do and say what you say. I want to live my life doing what you want, not what I want. 
So Father, we just ask now that, Lord, what was shared would, would not be taken away. Thank you for passages that draw us in. And I pray we would like Paul pull in the present grace of Jesus that is our sufficiency for everything you're calling us to and no matter how weak in it, whether it's given by you or just us or the calamity and we feel weak, we can go his power is going to come through in the kingdom. Remove distractions. Help us actually see ourselves as kingdom carriers, as people who have Jesus, who exist to make you known, who live in a whole different reality, a whole different framework. And I pray we'd be a church that wakes up and says, Jesus, what are your priorities? And then whatever you say, we obey. I bless us with this in Jesus' name, amen.